0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Amos chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation, to whom the people of Israel come. Go to Kalnair and look at it. Go from there to great Hamath. And then go down to Gath in Philistia. Are they better off than your two kingdoms? Is their land larger than yours? You put off the evil day and bring near a reign of terror. You lie on beds inlaid with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. The sovereign Lord has sworn by himself, the Lord God Almighty declares, I abhor the pride of Jacob and detest his fortresses. I will deliver up the city and everything in it. If 10 men are left in one house, they too will die. And if a relative who is to burn the bodies comes to carry them out of the house and asks anyone still hiding there, is anyone with you? And he says, no, then he will say, hush, we must not mention the name of the Lord. For the Lord has given the command And he will smash the great house into pieces and the small house into bits. Do horses run on the rocky crags? Does one plow there with oxen? But you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into bitterness. You who rejoice in the conquest of Lo Debar and say, did we not take carnaim by our own strength? For the Lord God Almighty declares, I will stir up a nation against you, O house of Israel, that will oppress you all the way from Lebohamath to the valley of the Arabath. This is the word of the Lord. Please do you take your seats.
1: And it will be a great help if you keep your Bibles open at Amos chapter 6, which is on page ninety-one. if you've closed the church Bibles. And let's pray for God's help as we look at his word together. Father, in a world where there are a thousand different voices crying out to us, calling to us to trust in what they offer and to go their way, Father, please help us once afresh to be wise tonight into all the false ways to live. And may we once again see that putting our trust in Christ, coming before him and receiving mercy and forgiveness at the foot of the cross, help us to see once again that that is the one true way to live life. And we pray this for your glory. Amen. The school I went to growing up required us to do some kind of after-school activity. And because I was keen on sport, I chose to do squash at one point. And the way that squash worked at my school was that there was a a squash ladder, a a list of names that went up on the wall. And um, the, the top squash player was right at the top of the ladder, and the worst squash player was right at the bottom of the ladder. And the way it worked was that you could challenge someone above you or below you to play squash and if you won that game you could go up the ladder and if you lost it you slipped down the ladder. And it was very helpful because you knew exactly where you stood compared to everyone else in your year. You knew whether you were near the top or near the bottom, you knew who you had to beat to advance. Uh, It was also quite annoying because everyone else knew where you stood as well and they could place you quite quickly. And it also became quite personal. I remember sitting in uh, the maths class sort of plotting who I could play next to kind of creep up the ladder, who I I could actually manage to beat. Of course, such ladders don't only exist in the world of squash. It was the French philosopher Foucault in the last century, who argued that actually every relationship, every sphere of life is a kind of battle with other people. We are competing with other people for supremacy. We're, we're on a massive squash ladder in life, if you like. And the only way to advance is at the expense of other people. We move forward as others lose. So imagine you walk into a party and your eyes scan the room of the party and you look out for those people who are particularly well-dressed or you notice who's dominating conversation or who's the funniest or who's in the corner of being very quiet or, or has come with the best um, um, gift for the host. I don't know. And after we notice, we then start asking ourselves the next question. Well, well how do I compare in terms of the dress and the looks and the humour and the conversation and being the centre of attention? And our position on the ladder is dependent on everyone else in the room and we win or we lose of course such ladders don't just exist in the world around us they can also exist in the church amongst God's people we look for various ways to position ourselves compared to other Christians and we then decide if we are higher or lower The ladder. I say this because that is what was happening in Amos chapter 6. The Bible has much to say to people who feel like they are towards the bottom of the ladder in life. To those who feel like they are down and out and lowly and on the fringe. There is much wonderful news in the Bible for those people. But this passage tonight is not one of those passages. It is directed for those who feel as if they are towards the top of the ladder in God's people. It's pretty clear. If you look down with me at verse 1, Amos writes, Woe to you who are complacent in Zion and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria. So what follows is a diagnosis of what was going on amongst the people of God. And Amos is building up to this great final verdict in verse eight when he says those dreadful words. The sovereign Lord has sworn by himself, the Lord God Almighty, he declares, I abhor the pride of Jacob. And so in this passage tonight, Amos exposes proud hearts amongst the people of God. And as we look at what Israel was doing with their hearts, we would do well to examine our hearts as we gather with God's people here tonight. And we'd also do well to remember that the prophet is, is there to, to call us back to the Lord, back to the place of safety and of refuge and of grace. This diagnosis is here to help us understand our hearts and to turn to the Lord. So what does God say about the pride at work within his people Well, first, I think we see the foundation of pride. Looking at verses one to two, the foundation of pride. Look at verse one again. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. Zion and Samaria, they they were the two capitals uh, of the south and the north, uh, respectively, uh, places of power and significance within the people. Uh, and we heard last week that Amos speaks into a time of great prosperity for the northern tribe in particular, a time of, I think, unparalleled peace, when things were finally working out for God's people in terms of economic prosperity, uh, peace from enemies. And he then speaks to those people who are at the center of it all. He says, the, the notable men of the foremost nation I think if you like the leaders of this prosperous nation of Israel and whether or not these leaders were actually walking around saying we are the notable men of this foremost nation or whether that's just what they thought inside that is what was happening the people of Israel they were coming to these notable men because they were the men with the power and the responsibility and I guess the leaders were thinking well We've made it. We are, if you like, at the top of the ladder within God's people. And in verse 2, Amos continues to describe the kind of narrative these leaders were using. I think he echoes their words and says, Go to Calna and look at it, and go from there to the great Hamath, and then go down to Gath in Philistia. Are they better off than your two kingdoms? Is their land larger than yours? And the answer is meant to be No. Because we are notable men of the foremost nation and the nations around us, well, they're not as big as us. They're not as good as us. You know how um, young kids get on when they're trying to impress one another? They say things like, I've got more toys than you, or uh, my house is bigger than your house, or um, the one I use most, uh, my dad's bigger than your dad. That's the kind of language of Amos 6, verses 1 to 2. The notable men of the foremost nation were going around looking at the other countries and they were saying, our country is better than your country. Our country is bigger than your country. Is this not the foundation of pride? The comparison game the leaders of Israel were comparing themselves to other people, to other nations, and the results were favorable for these notable men. Their complacency was based on their perception that they were better than others. And it is a danger for us here at Christchurch. This week at a meeting, the PCC heard that across this nation... The average church attendance to the local Anglican parish church is just under 2% of those who live in the parish. However, we were also told that here in Fullwood, that the average attendance is about 12% coming to this church from the local parish. 2%? 12%? Well, it looks quite good, doesn't it? It looks quite favourable. We might think that we are a notable church in the area. Uh, it's wonderful to arrive around 6.25 on a Sunday evening and it's, it's almost hard to park because there's so many cars here and there are people flooding in from the streets and it, it's a sense of busyness and there's a buzz and it's wonderful to be around because there, it's, uh, there are people. Things are happening and we think of other churches where just a handful of people gather each Sunday and we might think to ourselves, well, this is where it's at. Uh, we are notable And once we've made that observation, the next step is so very easy to take. This step into pride. Now, I, I suspect these Israelite leaders didn't see what they were doing as being full of pride. You can imagine the kind of narrative they told themselves. You know, we, we've earned this. Uh, we've worked hard. It's been years of planning. There's been battles. There's been wise decisions. There's been crop management. There's been good politics you know, we've, we've sweated for this, and now our time has come to enjoy the fruit of our hard labor. And others, if they haven't worked as hard as us, well then, so be it. They haven't made it as far as us. You can imagine that was the sort of narrative they were telling themselves and others. And I suspect it's a kind of narrative we can tell ourselves as well. Well, what happens to a people who play the comparison game? And allow pride to take root. Well, Amos continues, our next point is this, that the fruit of pride, looking at verses three to six. Look with me at verse three. Amos says to Israel, you put off the evil day and bring near a reign of terror. You lie in beds inlaid with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away in your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions. When I was at university, I can still remember preparing for my first year exams. And the night before my first exam, my next door neighbor decided to hold a party because he had just finished his exams. Um, And... um, I'm not sure there was any lamb or, or fat in calves, verse four, but there was lots of food. Uh, I'm not sure how much wine there was, but there was lots of strong uh, stuff being consumed, verse six. And worst of all, there was lots of music, verse five. And not just any music. My uh, next door neighbour Ben played the didgeridoo. Uh, in fact, he made them anyway. Um, and his friend played the bongos. And they were just there. they were just playing away, just jamming, just improvising. Life was good. Exams were over. The summer was stretching out before them. They had all they physically wanted, and they were just jamming, just enjoying life. And at 2 a.m., I was so angry. I went charging into their room, and they cried, Hey, Pete's here. Brilliant. Pete, come and join us. Life's good. Come and play with us. And do you know when you ever get so angry, you can't even speak? My arms were just flapping. It's just like, and I managed to get out. You know, something like, um, exams, tomorrow, shut up, or something. I don't know what it was. they, They didn't. Life is good. Don't worry. Just relax. And they couldn't see beyond it. That is the picture we get in verses three to six. A complacent, comfortable people. Not troubled about the future. Not massively troubled about people around them. Just jamming, just playing the music, just enjoying the moment. And that is the fruit of pride. And notice two particular fruits in Amos 6. I think he points out that because of their pride, there is a preoccupation with the present and not the future. He says in verse 3, you put off the day of disaster and bring near a reign of terror. In other words, the saint Amos, stop bothering us with, with dire words about the future. We don't actually care about the future because the present is good. Let's let's ignore this scaremonger Amos. Let's just ignore, uh, enjoy the music, enjoy the wine in the present. Verse four, commentators say, to eat lots of lamb and, and cattle was to decimate the herd, which meant that in future generations there wouldn't be enough cattle to go around it was very short term to indulge in so much meat it's like spending all our money on holidays now and not saving up for a pension it's living in the here and now at the expense of the future but so confident were these people so secure in their position that all they could think about was the here and now and it was this very self-confidence that was the reason why they were hastening the reign of terror towards them. That's the first fruit. The second fruit: a preoccupation with themselves and not others. Verse six. And this is a sad verse. Verse six: You drink wine by the bowlful and you, and use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. The ruin of Joseph, literally the crash of Joseph. A reference to what is going to happen to the people of God as God comes to judge them. But notice Amos uses Joseph to refer to his people. And I think this is quite deliberate. I'm, I'm confident he's referring back to that story in Genesis of Joseph and his brothers, you know, that young, arrogant man. And the brothers. Plots against him they, they take him and seize him and they put him into a pit and he's in the pit and they have a picnic and as they recount what happened later on in Genesis chapter 42 they explain that he was so distressed in this pit that he squealed as a pig squeals as, as it faces being slaughtered such was the distress of Joseph in the pit but just imagine the picnic the brothers tucking into a nice meal you, you know oh, oh do pass the hummus would you Just yards away, squeals of terror as the brother waits his fate. It is a picture of horrendous hard-heartedness, of utter self-preoccupation. And that is the fruit of pride, becoming so focused on ourselves that we don't hear, we don't think about the crash coming What about us? What about me? I guess we have experienced some success here as a church. Well, not me. I've just arrived. But uh, you have here. I praise God that in his mercy and grace, and because of the faithful ministry of many people uh, before us, God has been at work amongst us. We have grown numerically. We have grown spiritually. And I guess in some senses we have made an impact on a local area, and in some senses we are known nationally in some ways. But success always brings us to a crossroads. We could go the way of Israel in Amos 6, the way of her leaders. You see, God gave them a season of success and prosperity, and it went to their heads. Success made them proud, complacent, lazy. It made them focused on the present, not the future, and on themselves and not others. And that particular road is so well-traveled. It happened to God's people in Amos 6, but it happens again and again through church history. I'm no expert in history, but it is amazing how no one local church ever lasts forever. As the years and decades and centuries go by, one church is planted and grows and prospers and flourishes and then decays. And I'm no expert in how churches work or in church history, but I think Amos 6 gives us enough enough of an insight into the human heart to hazard a guess why it is that no one church ever lasts. Success breeds comparison. Comparison breeds pride. Pride breeds complacency. Complacency kills our love for the Lord and our love for others. Success always brings us to a crossroads and we could go that way. We could go the way of Israel and Amos 6. It would be so easy to go that way, to coast, to take the foot off the pedal, to say we've made it. Let's enjoy all that we now have. But Amos 6 calls us to go in a different direction, to use the success God might give us, and to live for the future, and to live for others. Well, what might this look like for us here at Forward to go that other direction? Well, as a church, it would mean that we wouldn't be smug about the 12% who might come to us any given Sunday. Rather, we would think about the 88% who don't come and our hearts would be broken about the crash they face. We would be restless, hungry, thoughtful about how we could do anything to reach those precious 88 who do not come. It would mean as a church that we do not grow complacent with the resources we have in the present. We have lots of musicians and leaders and uh, lots of ways that God has blessed us But we'd work hard to raise up more, to look to the future and think, well, how can we send more leaders out? How can we send more people who can preach and who can lead Bible studies and who can pray and who can serve and evangelize? How can we send them out to other places, other churches to help grow God's kingdom? We need this perspective as we talk to one another, as we think and as we plan. Pray this for the PCC as we weigh up key decisions for ourselves as we think about how much time and energy we want to give to the kingdom's work. I think this is one reason why it's so important to keep church planting on the agenda as a church, to keep thinking how we can reach out to those who have yet to meet Christ, those who are facing the crash. Yes, it will be painful, but our present success is not here to make us comfortable and to coast. It's here to help us Plan for the future and look after others. The fruit of pride. Finally, very quickly, the foolishness of pride. Verses 7 to 14. Verse 8 again. The sovereign Lord has sworn by himself, the Lord God Almighty declares. I abhor the pride of Jacob and detest his fortresses. I will deliver up the city and everything in it. See, God God won't ignore pride. He never has. He didn't in the day of Amos. And what Amos said did come to pass. It was true centuries later when James writes in James 4 that God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And it is still true today. And it is clear that it is the Lord himself who will personally oppose the proud. Look at verse 11. For the Lord has given the commands and he will smash the great house into pieces and the small houses into bits. By the end of the chapter, a great reversal has taken place. Verse 14 The Lord Almighty declares, I will stir up a nation against you, O house of Israel, that will oppress you all the way from Lebo Hamath to the valley of the Arabah. Do you remember how the chapter began? Verse 1, the notable men of, of the foremost nation. So safe, so secure. But at the end, verse 14, there will be another nation who will come. And overthrow the house of Israel. We're not told who that, that mysterious nation is in Amos. We know it's the Assyrians and they do indeed come. And there was a crash for Joseph. You see how that reversal takes place. The pride is followed by the fall. Which means that any person... Any nation, any church that becomes proud and complacent is putting themselves in direct opposition to God himself. And this is a loving warning from the prophet to us tonight. It is a call to us. If we have begun to go down that path of complacency, of pride, of living for ourselves in the presence, it is a call to stop and to turn around and to come back to the Lord. It's a call I need to hear I've been struck this week just how proud I can get, how complacent I can become. And I'm sure there are many here tonight who should go and reflect as well. The foolishness of pride. As we move towards a close, I think it's very hard to live life without comparing ourselves to other people. It's very hard to be so single-minded and so focused that we don't look around and become aware of other people and how we're doing compared to them, I wonder if the key for us tonight is not so much to stop comparing at all, but rather to make the right comparisons. The notable men of the foremost nation were comparing certain people, and they looked good compared to those people. There was, of course, another notable man that we read about in the scriptures. Uh, if we were to compare ourselves to that notable man, I wonder how we would do. I don't want to be flippant about it, but imagine we were to use top trumps as a way of comparing and contrasting ourselves with this other notable man. How would we compare? Background. Second person of the Trinity, eternally begotten, not made. Leadership, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Power, universe creation with just a few words. Intelligence, inexhaustible, notable deeds. The biggest, the most extravagant act of love human history will ever see. As this truly notable one stooped down from heaven, down to be a human, and down to a death death. On a cross, the death of shame, of scorn, of punishment, not for his sins, but for ours. When we think about our corporate success, when we think about our individual status, it is very hard to stand very tall when we stand in the shadow of the cross, when we stand in the shadow of the one truly notable man. And one of the sad consequences of pride is that it robs us of the very thing we crave most. We crave a sense of belonging, a sense of worth, a sense of significance. The proud person is constantly battling to get and maintain these things that they desperately want. But it is never enough. The food, the wine, the music never lasts. And the cross calls us to give up our struggle. to get these things on our own and instead to trust in the one truly notable one and his death on the cross. Listen to how C.S. Lewis finishes his chapter on pride and mere Christianity. He writes, I wish I got a bit further with humility myself. If I had, I could probably tell you more about the relief the the comfort of of taking the fancy dress off, of of getting rid of all the false self with all its look at me and aren't I a good boy and all its posing and posturing. To get even near it, even for a moment, is like a drink of cold water to a man in a desert. May we be a church That knows what it is like for our souls to be refreshed by this gospel drink. To know the peace and security of not having to fight our corner. To not have to impress ourselves and to climb up that ladder to somehow make our life worth something. But instead to drink that cool refreshing drink of the gospel which tells us we have everything in Christ. And may we be a church that urgently, persistently, continually, actively shares this gospel drink with a world that is thirsting, that is staggering in a desert of self-reliance and frustration to a nation facing the crash. Success always brings us to a crossroads. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that one truly notable man who, although he had everything, gave it all up that he might rescue people who think that they were something. Our Father, please refresh us once again with that cool gospel drink that our hearts may be quenched and satisfied in Christ. And we pray this for your glory. Amen.